0: Today, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to talk about the church. And uh, specifically, we've been working through our statement of faith and just talking about what we believe. And today we're going to talk about what we believe and what's true of the church. But, you know, it might be helpful, even before we get started, uh, to, to talk about a few things the church is not because in reality, when we start talking about the church, a lot of times we can get some, some strange ideas in our heads and we can live out different realities of what we believe about the church. And So let's just talk about a few of them. You've got them on your, your handout this morning. First off, the church is not a building. Now we refer to our building as a church and that's common and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we're talking about the church as, a, as we read of it in scripture, the church is not a building. You know, when I was a kid, uh, did you ever learn this when you are little? Here's the church, here's the steeple, right? And open the doors, here's all the people. But you know, it was really kind of wrong. What it should have been is, uh, here's the building with a steeple, open the doors, here's the church. Because the people are the church. That, that's, that's what uh, scripture makes clear, that, that the church is really God's people, it's not a building. Second thing the church is not. The church is not a single denomination. We're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's our, our tribe, kind of our clan, our you you could call it our denomination. Uh, but the church is more than a single denomination. Uh, it's not, you know, us four and, and no more. Think of it like your extended family. I'm gonna talk a lot this morning, just I'll, I'll refer probably often to the church as family. And, and when you think of the fam, of, of your family, you, you have your immediate family, right? Well, for, for you and I, that's Wawasee well, Bible. This is our immediate family. This is our immediate church family. We do life together, live life together. But then we have extended family too. We, we have extended family, and that's kind of the, the EFCA, our, our extended family, our, our cousins and our aunts and our uncles and all that sort of stuff, right? But then you also have like distant relatives, don't you? ones that you don't really know, or they might be really extended family that maybe you only see, or you, you haven't seen for years. And uh, you know, they encompass a whole different crew of people in different places. And uh, some, if you're it, they have traditions, even different last names. And some are just kind of weird. Do you have the weird family members? If you don't, guess who's the weird one? It's you, yep. So everybody, I mean, we, we, have, we have extended, distant family. And, and the reality is it's the same in the church. We have an immediate family, we have extended family, we have distant family, but we're all God's people. We're all part of his family. The third thing the church is not is the church is not a business. It's not a business. Uh, some people will tend to view the church as a business, but it's not a business. It's As I said, it's a family. You know, that being said, there's some principles of business that, as we organize as a church and gather in our context in North America, there's some business things that have to happen, you know, to pay to keep the lights on, to heat the building, to, uh, to care for some of those things. So there are aspects of it, but at its core, the church isn't a business, it's, it's a family. It just by the way, it's very similar to your own family where uh, your family probably has some different business-like responsibilities you have to care for, right? because if you don't file your taxes, that's coming up by the way, if you don't, uh, you could get in a lot of trouble legally so that there's some things you have to do as a family. It's the same with the church. Uh, Here's another one. The church is not a country club. It's not a country club. In other words, it's not just a a social club. Um, You know, if you have tons of friends in the church, man, I'm really happy for you, you ought to, and I pray that you get more. Uh, but uh, social clubs, uh, see, churches are more than that though. Social clubs are about that. They're about friends and they have presidents and agendas and dues to pay and rights that are associated with those dues. And social clubs are kind of exclusive then, aren't they? They exclude people based on that. But for us, we would say all people matter. So it doesn't matter your social class, your intellect, your financial status. What matters is you bear God's image you bear his image, you matter to him, you're loved by him, and so you must be loved by us. And so the church isn't a social club. There's social aspects to it and relationship and community, but it's so much more than that, so much more. Because a social, a social club, if, if, if you, know, you have some difficulties there, you, you get frustrated with somebody, what do you do? Well, you leave and find another one. But in a family, That doesn't work so well with your family. You still have to live with your family. And so a church is is more than that. Uh, Here's one for you. The church is not from a single political party. This tends to be a a more uniquely American phenomenon than other places in the world. But the church is not a single political party. Uh, Every political party, have you noticed, they all wanna claim Jesus? but it doesn't seem like many of them want to follow him. (laughs) Let alone a single nation, Uh, it's not a single nation either. The church is all ethnicities. And God's plan, by the way, even isn't for government and political parties and all that, God's plan in the end. If you read Revelation, we'll talk about Jesus coming back in a few weeks, But, but God's plan is for not a democracy, but a benevolent king a perfectly benevolent king who comes and rules and reigns and is perfectly good and righteous and just over his people. And, and so just remember, the church isn't primarily a political party. And um, it, I'll be honest with you, it breaks my heart a bit to watch in our nation as people have, have drawn such hard lines politically with others. And uh, even within the church, finding uh, their identity primarily in their politics, and not in Jesus Christ and in their theology. Let's not be that people, amen? Amen. We're united around Christ, not a political party. Uh, Here's another one, the church is not here. Uh, You got your toes out, I'm gonna step on them. It's not here for your agenda. The church doesn't exist for your agenda because we're on Jesus' agenda, not our own. You might also say the church is not here Primarily to meet your needs. Now, do we want to meet needs of people? Yeah, we totally do. But that's not the primary thing we're here to do. Uh, because when when we uh, uh, get into that, the reality is many of our things we think are needs are sometimes wants, and so that's why I say agenda. We're not here to meet people's agendas. Uh, you might think of it like this. I've, I've used this before, but but let me just uh, go on a little rabbit trail here briefly before we dive in more today, uh, you might think of it as my thing, your thing, and uh, we'll get to it, our thing. But every church and every organization, for that matter, has to be really careful to distinguish the difference between your thing, my thing, and our thing. Your thing, my thing, and our thing. Let me, let me try to explain what I mean here, because if, if we can't distinguish this, then we start doing everything and we get burned out and it's frustrating. So here's what I mean by that. Everybody, every one of us, we all have our thing, like your thing and my thing. For example, uh, let me give you some examples here. Uh, This is your personal interest. This is what you like. This is what you enjoy. So for some of you, uh, my thing is hunting. That's not my thing. It might be your thing. For some of you, my thing is camping. Also not my thing, but it's great if it's your thing. Uh, For some of of us, here we go, my thing is baseball. Do you like baseball? For some of you, my thing is uh, Purdue basketball. You had a rough day yesterday, and I'm sorry. (laughs) We should have prayed for you too this morning. Uh, for some of you, my thing is, a, is another certain basketball team or a football team or a hockey team or it's, it's gardening or it's who knows what. For some of us, my thing is uh, a certain cause, right? It's, it's helping these types of people. It's being involved in this area of, of society. Uh, my thing is I enjoy serving in this type of ministry to the poor, helping this people in need. My thing is I just really love this neighborhood or this business or this restaurant or whatever my thing is it's what i enjoy i appreciate i give my time and my money to that's 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 my thing that's your thing and everyone in this room we all have a handful of things that are my thing don't we but here's the deal the bigger question then when we gather as god's church as jesus church is not what your thing or my thing is it's what's our thing what's our thing Who are we together as God's people? And for any organization, especially a church, to be healthy, thing always has to be greater than your thing or my thing. Our thing has to be the main thing. And the reality is many times conflict or hurt or frustration or disillusionment with the church or with leaders or whoever else, it usually comes when subconsciously we kind of subscribe to this idea that my thing ought to be our thing, you know? And that happens easily and it can happen for any of us. And we'll talk about what our thing is as we keep going this morning. But let me give you one uh, last one. We said the church is not here for your agenda. The last one, then we're gonna talk about what the church is. The church is not your ticket to heaven. It's not your ticket to heaven. See, uh, attending church, coming to church, being involved in the church, serving in the church doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't save you, it doesn't redeem you, it doesn't. You know, uh, uh, you've heard me joke about this before, but you know, going to Taco Bell doesn't make you a chalupa, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You, you eat enough chalupas, you'll smell like one, you'll look like one, but you won't become one. You go to church enough, get involved enough, you'll start to smell like a Christian, look like one, do all the right things, go all, say all the right things. Uh, but that doesn't make you one. The thing that makes you a Christian is not being in the church, it's being in Christ. It's repenting of your sin, we're gonna talk about this this morning too, and, and entrusting Jesus by faith. See, because here's the deal, you can be born in the church, baptized in the church, grow up in the church, go to Sunday school in the church, You can be confirmed in the church. You can get married in the church. You can raise your kids in the church. You can serve in the church. You can give to the church. You can die and have your funeral in the church. But if you're not in Christ, you'll spend eternity in hell. You don't need the church, you need Jesus who then adopts you and makes you part of his church. Do you see? So there's some things the church is not and by way of kind of a long introduction, Now let's talk about what the church is. And so what we're gonna do this morning, we're gonna look at our statement of faith again. That's what we've been doing in this series. And I mentioned our tribe, kind of our extended family is the Evangelical Free Church of America. And uh, our statement of faith has uh, one article that that describes what the church is, what we believe and what the Bible teaches about the church. And so we're gonna uh, look at this, unpack it, then we're gonna look at an example of it in scripture. Uh, But first, let's read this statement together, and it's, it's a big one today, so I apologize for the text being a little smaller, but let's read together. We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer." Well, as I mentioned, uh, we spent a lot of time already saying what the church is not, so let's look at what it is. And uh, specifically, let's start in the middle, where we read the true church is manifest in local churches. There's, there's kind of two, two things here we need to define, aren't there? We need to say, uh, what's the true church? What do we mean by that? And, and what's a local church? What's the difference? Uh, we stay even right at the beginning, we believe the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And and so the true church then is all believers in Jesus Christ. The true church is everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ and come to him for salvation. It, It doesn't matter what denominational background that's from. If somebody has put their faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? They've been united to him and united to his family, to the church by the Holy Spirit. And, and they're part of the family. They're part of the true universal, you might, as another term that's used sometimes, church. Now here's the deal. The, the church also, a couple other terms we could use is, uh, is visible and invisible, that there's a visible church where we look around and we see everybody who's part of the church and who claims to follow Jesus. But uh, really God knows, the Holy Spirit knows whether or not you've you've truly repented and and turned to him in faith, or if you're just kind of doing the chalupa thing and, and just showing up to be involved, right? So there's a visible church where maybe not everybody has truly trusted Christ, but the invisible church then is the true church, those who really have put their faith in Christ. So let's talk a little bit more about what uh, the true church is. Uh, First off, the the true church are those who have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, uh, 500 years ago, uh, Martin Luther and others uh, during the Reformation really rediscovered this truth from Scripture, which had been masked from many people by the, the church at the time. And they came up with these five solas, five things, like five alone statements that that really are the bedrock of our faith according to scripture. And we see three of them right here. Grace alone, uh, sola gratia, that we're saved by grace alone. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God's free gift to us. And that we receive this grace, not by anything we do, Again, not by just showing up to church, right? We receive this grace through faith alone, sola fide. Like the only way I can receive God's grace is through putting my trust in Jesus Christ, through faith alone, and see that's the next part, in Christ alone. Not faith in my good works, not faith in how much I give, not faith in in anything else, but faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross for me and his resurrection to give me eternal life and claim me as his own. you see? Uh, so those who are truly part of the true church are those who've been justified by the work of Christ. Well, what do we mean by that? Uh, well, let me see if I can explain just briefly again here the, the work of Christ for you on the cross. I said your faith needs to be in his work alone, right? Well, Jesus uh, lived a perfect life. But yet he paid the penalty for sin. He, he died on the cross in my place and in your place. See, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus lived the only perfect life of, ever, ever, of any human being ever to live. Yet he still paid that wage. He, he, he earned it and, and he suffered for it on the cross. And when he did, what he did is he atoned for our sin. Do you remember we talked about this a few weeks ago? He, he made us one with, with God. He, he, he restored and uh, uh, repaired that relationship. And in so doing, he satisfied God's wrath for my sin. All of God's wrath went on Jesus Christ on the cross that apart from Jesus, if I'm not in Jesus, if I'm just out here on my own, then all of that wrath falls on me and deservedly so. Because God's just, and he can't deny his justice and his righteousness. So by his grace, he, he pours it out on Jesus as our substitute. And, and what happens then, here's this word justified, the father then uh, declares us righteous. That's what justification is. He doesn't say you earned righteousness somehow. Yeah, that, I think that's enough, Josh. I think now you're okay and justified, no. He doesn't do it on anything based on my work, but only on Christ's work. And he simply declares me righteous. It's, it's his work. He's the one who makes me righteous and justified. And so, uh, what Jesus does then as well is he, he sets me free from sin. Uh, see, he satisfies the wrath for sin, but he also sets me free and releases me of my sin and cleanses me and makes me new. And in this whole process so far, what have I done? Nothing, have I? All of this originates with Jesus and with the Father. And even then, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. We, we looked at the Holy Spirit last week and he works on me and, uh, and he then uh, causes me to believe and I have faith in Christ and the only work of mine or yours in being justified and then thus being made part of the true church, is having faith in Jesus Christ. And everything else about it is God's work, the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it's all grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Do you see? Uh, Another thing about the true church then, is one, it's, it's made up of those who've been justified, By grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, is that when we speak of the the true church, Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the lead pastor. He's he's the the chief shepherd, scripture calls him. See, uh, look at this Uh, Colossians 1, Paul writes, he says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent, he might be first. Jesus is the senior pastor of, of the true church and of every local church, by the way. It's his church. That's why uh, Peter, when he's writing to uh, some local churches, he tells the elders, he says, when the chief shepherd, the senior pastor, when he shows up, uh, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Friends, Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the one who's in charge and in control. It's his church. Uh, The true church also then is united by the Holy Spirit. All these statements, by the way, are just kind of right out of our statement of faith. I'm just, you have that on your handout. I'm just kind of walking through some of these things. The Holy Spirit does the work of, of regenerating us, making us new, we saw last Sunday, and he unites us to Christ. He unites us to the church. The thing that makes you part of the church is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. We're we're, we're one in the spirit. The Holy Spirit unifies us in Christ. So that's the true church. Those who've been justified, who've, who've trusted Jesus Christ by faith, But then we also said there's the true church and then there's it's manifest in local churches. In local churches. Well, what's the local church? Here's one simple way to think about the distinction here. You might think of the true church as the church capital C, capital C. Like the the whole church everywhere, anyone everywhere all through time who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's the church capital C. But then there's also uh, many local churches, lowercase c, right? And that's us, we're, we're one of those churches. Wall see Bible is a local church in Jesus, great, universal, true church. And so uh, the local church then uh, is, is simply, uh, God's gathered people in a specific place, in a specific locale. Uh, Local churches, they're just manifestations of the true universal church in specific places, at specific times. and you see this all throughout the New Testament. You know, many of the books of the New Testament um, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians they're written. Do you know where those names come from? From the local church in that place that Paul was writing to. He's writing to a a local gathering of those who live in that place and gather in that place that are part of the greater true church. That's the local church. And so Wabasee Bible is a a local church. And uh, the word for uh, church, I mentioned this earlier, is ekklesia, ekklesia in Greek. And it, it simply means it was used not only of God's people but of any gathering of people that gathered for a specific purpose. Would be an ecclesia in, in uh, New Testament times. But it uh, over several centuries, I mentioned this earlier too, the German word kirche, meaning house of the Lord. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. So if you know German and you want to correct me later, I'm all for it. I'm just going with that though. Uh, but it began to be substituted in German for ecclesia, And then it got translated to us for as church. And, and the word church is not a translation from the Greek. It's it's really a substitute and a lot from that German one, which means has this idea of a building or a place associated with it. And so that's why sometimes we, we think of the church primarily as here's the church, when it's really here's the church, here's God's gathered people. Um, and the, the New Testament helps us with a lot of metaphors for what the church is. Let me give you a handful Uh, It talks about the church being family. There's a lot of different family images of the church. I've talked about that. It's probably one of my favorites uh, because it really expresses truly who we are as God's people, as we gather and as we do life together. If you come to Discovery class in a few weeks, um, you'll you'll hear me use this illustration of the difference between a family and uh, say a a business or like a restaurant you go to, right? How many of you, if you uh, go out to dinner and you get your food at the restaurant, the waitress or waiter brings it to you and you get your food and you're kind of like, hmm, it's okay, but it's, it's a little salty or it's kind of cold. What do you do? You might kind of raise your hand, get their attention and say, hey, this just isn't right. Could you take this back and could I have something new? That's pretty common, right? You can do that. What if you tried that at Thanksgiving? <laughs> I dare you. Try that at Thanksgiving next year with, with your extended family. You know, you're sitting there and mom or dad brings out the turkey and you're like, mm, it's a little salty. No, it's just, it doesn't quite taste right. I don't care for this. Could you take this back and maybe get me uh, give me a steak? Give me something different. They'd be like, well, are you kidding me? No, you're gonna eat that. I mean, I can hear my dad saying it right now. Or uh, you're like, um, uh, could I have some, uh, some more, more to drink here, please? I, my mom would be like, go get it yourself. It's, on, it's in the fridge. <laughs> See, that's family. Family contributes. That, that's the church. Everybody's in it together. Another metaphor uh, for the church is the branches on a vine were to be connected with Christ, John 15. As an olive tree, where as Gentiles were grafted in to God's family, Romans 11, as a field of crops and as a building in 1 Corinthians 3, as a harvest in Matthew 13. Uh, it's viewed as a new temple in 1 Peter 2, um, as a house that, God, that Jesus is building in, in Hebrews. And uh, maybe another familiar metaphor is as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. and And all of these metaphors used for the church in the New Testament just reminds us that God's plan for his people and for us is, it's, it's glorious and it's huge and it's beautiful. And it's a lot bigger than my thing or your thing. It's our thing and ultimately it's God's thing, isn't it? Of what he's doing in and through us. And, and there's so many descriptions because it's kind of like a guy who has a beautiful wife and he's trying to describe her beauty. And he, he, he says all these words and he just is like, I just wish I could describe her to you. That's kind of the New Testament description of, of Jesus' bride, the church. There's so many different metaphors to help us understand who we are. You know, one though that I like that doesn't necessarily show up in scripture is this word of embassy. Think of the church as an embassy. Do you know what an embassy is? An embassy is a, a deputation or a mission Uh, somebody who's sent by one ruler to another place to be their representative. So in some sense, this does show up in the New Testament because Paul says that we're ambassadors for Christ, we're sent by him. Uh, In this book, uh, Rediscover Church, it came out uh, just recently. And I have a handful of copies, uh, extra copies. We're reading this together as a board. If you'd like one, uh, first come, first serve. I've got, I think about seven extras over here uh, on a bench. Uh, But in this book, the, the writers of it write this. They say the local church is the place where the Bible says heaven has begun to descend to earth. Heaven touches down on planet earth through our gathered churches, our local churches. And when this happens, you offer the citizens of your nation the hope of a better nation. You offer the residents of your city the hope of a better and lasting city. They go on, they say, what's a gathered church? It's an embassy of heaven. Step inside your local church or ours. And and what should you find? You should find a whole different nation of people. Sojourners, exiles, citizens of Christ's kingdom. Inside such churches, you'll hear the king of heaven's words declared to you. You'll you'll hear heaven's language of faith and hope and love. You'll get a taste of the end time heavenly banquet through the Lord's supper. And you'll be charged with its diplomatic business as you're called to bring the gospel to your nation and to every other nation. See, the church is an embassy then. We're an outpost of God's kingdom here on earth. That's what each local church is. It's like all these little embassies of the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's the local church. Well, uh, another thing we we say in our statement of faith is that membership in the church is of believers. And that... Uh, uh, you know, it's taken for granted uh, many times in Scripture. Paul uh, calls out different people by name in local churches because they're they're part of that church. Uh, we see in the early church fathers in the first couple centuries talking about uh, a, a Christian. Uh, it, it was just it was assumed that if if you were a Christian, you were part of a local church. Like there's no such thing uh, according to Scripture. There's just no category for lone ranger Christians. They just kinda of do life on their own and don't associate with the church. There's no category for it. We, we express it in our time and place culturally as church membership, which the first step of that, if you're interested, is, is a discovery class. And the, the reason we do that, there's a handful, but um, you know, the question comes up, why church membership? Why can't I just be a participant in my church without becoming an official member? You know, We don't make a big deal about this. But you know, you could sum up the difference between somebody who just shows up and somebody who's uh, gotten involved in membership with one word and that word is simply commitment. It's just a tangible expression of commitment to saying, this is my family. And you know what? Since it's my family, I'm committing to this family. And uh, so when things go sour, I'm committed here. I'm gonna sign my name on the line. Now, does it have any legal binding? Not really. Uh, But what is it? You you sign your name on how many other things to say, yeah, I'm good for that. Why wouldn't you do it for membership? And uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't become a member, to consider it. It, it. It is, it's just simply you saying, I'm committed to this local church and uh, even as uh, you get involved in the church and serve you know one of the things uh, paul says to the church in uh, corinth he says do all things decently and in order and one of the ways we do that is through membership and so certain levels of leadership in our church you know you you've, you you have to either attend a discovery class and then another next level of leadership you have to be a member why we just want to know that that you're committed we don't want to put you in charge of something and then watch you bail three months later and watch all the people underneath you be hurt. Uh, membership is just simply a commitment. So I'd encourage you to make that commitment if you haven't and you consider, well, obviously Bible, your church home. Uh, here's another thing about a local church is it gathers regularly. It gathers regularly. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that's the word, ecclesia, a gathered people for a specific purpose. You, you can't, you can't really live out your role in the church without being part of a local church that gathers. And you can't do it without gathering. That's what the word means. You know, uh, the writer of Hebrews wrote this. He said, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And I think if, if we could uh, update this for 2022, 2020 on really, say as became the habit of many, after COVID. <laughs> Would you agree? Yeah. But encouraging one another. Don't don't neglect it. Encour- that's part of why we gather is to encourage one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Hey, let me say to those of you, if you're joining us online, I'm so glad that you're with us. And I recognize for some, that's, uh, that's your way to connect and it's really the only way for you right now. And that's great. Uh, But if if your situation is one where you could come and gather, I wish you would. And there'd be something about coming and being with us that that you would benefit from, especially doing it regularly. So just know you're loved in any case though. So uh, we talked about all this. Let's talk really briefly here and look at an example of this from scripture in Acts chapter two. You got your Bible? Turn to Acts chapter two with me. And we'll move uh, fairly quickly through here, but let me give you a little background of Acts chapter two. In in Acts chapter one, uh, Jesus ascends, he leaves earth and goes back to be with his father. And uh, as he does, he leaves some instructions for his disciples. He says, you're gonna be my witnesses here and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And he tells them, wait around though. Don't take off yet. Wait until I send the Holy Spirit. And so at the end of Acts chapter one, uh, middle of Acts one, about verse 15, we read there's about 120 of them at this time who are gathering together regularly, waiting for Jesus to send the Spirit. Then in Acts chapter two, we read about the Holy Spirit being sent on the day of Pentecost. And what you read about is that the Holy Spirit, uh, see, everybody was gathered in Jerusalem from all these different nations at that time. Speaking different languages, and uh, for a religious festival, and, and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on the church. These hundred twenty people, and what happens is they suddenly start speaking languages they've never spoke before. Specifically, languages of all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem at that time. So it'd be like if uh, suddenly you know, if I next time I go to India, if all of a sudden I start speaking Telugu. Okay. And people understand it and they're like, you know this language? Like, no, I don't, but I'm speaking it. How cool is that? And it was the, it was the Holy Spirit working through them. And, and what happened is they began to declare the truth of who Jesus is to all these people in their native languages who were gathered there. And it was called the day of Pentecost. And what, what happened then is uh, some looked at him and said, these people are drunk, they're crazy other people repented and believed. And what we read uh, later in chapter two is that Peter gets up then to start preaching in verse 14 and he stands with uh, the 11. He lifted up his voice and he said, men of Judea and all who dwell here in Jerusalem, let this be known, give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk like you would not suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. Uh, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. See, all this was prophesied ahead of time. And he goes on, uh, verse 22, he says, uh, "'Men of Israel, hear these words. "'Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God "'with mighty works and wonders and signs "'that God did through him in your midst. "'As you yourselves know, this Jesus, "'delivered up according to the definite plan "'and foreknowledge of God, "'you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men.'" This had happened 50 days prior to this is when Jesus was crucified, and uh, you, you go on and uh, Peter uh, just tells them the truth of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. And he, he says this, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom, whom you crucified. And after laying all this out, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, you ever been cut to the heart with something? And and what's your question then at that point? What what, what do I do? How do I make this right? Where do I go? What what now? Well, that's exactly what they said to Peter. Like brothers, what what should we do? And so Peter answers them. Peter said, you need to repent. Repent means to to turn, means to change your mind. Specifically in their case, to change their mind about who this Jesus they crucified truly is. To realize he is the Christ. He is the savior of the world, that he is God. And not only that, but be baptized then, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. To to be a, baptism is, uh, water baptism is just this physical expression of an inward reality. It physically expresses that someone has put their trust in Jesus, that they've been immersed, engulfed, cleansed, washed by Jesus. And by the way, you can get baptized if you haven't yet. Uh, In a couple weeks here on March 20th, I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't. And uh, Peter tells them, get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that they had seen everybody else receive for the promise is for you and for your children. He's speaking here specifically to the Jewish people, but, but also then for those who are far off, all the Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish, like probably most of us in this room, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, it's for everyone. This, is, this, is, this truth is for everybody. And so with many other words, Luke wrote this, and he, he just, he, Peter evidently was a windy preacher. You think I go long? Sometimes evidently Peter went pretty long. Luke couldn't even get it all written down. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Earlier he had said in verse 21 uh, that to be saved, you must call upon the name of the Lord and anyone who does will be saved. So that's how you can be saved. And really this applies to any generation, doesn't it? I can remember my parents thinking my generation was terrible or my grandparents. Oh, everything's just going terrible now. It's really bad. And then as you get older, you look at younger generations. Oh, everything is going bad. It's been going on for a long time. The only way out is is faith in Jesus Christ. So those who received his word then were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Do you remember how many there were to begin with? about 120, Luke said. And so in a day, this uh, local church in Jerusalem went from average-sized church in our day to a mega church in a day, in a day. And uh, then the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved, the Lord did it. Now uh, in in this, we really see demonstrated a lot of the things from our statement of faith. We see the true church, we see people who repented of their sin and were baptized and trusted Christ. We see a local church of people gathered here in Jerusalem. We we see uh, them united by the Holy Spirit. They were given the Holy Spirit after trusting Christ. And he, he gave them great unity as they had all things in common and they were willing to, to sell things, to, to care for those who were in need and give generously and receive generously. And, and you see all those things kind of manifested. And not only that, but uh, celebrating baptism and communion together as a local church, breaking bread. And we see a description here of the early church. It really matches our statement of faith and what we believe about the church. And uh, let me just say uh, two more things here before we sing and call to mourning. Uh, One one thing with this passage is that sometimes uh, people will look at it and they'll recognize some of the things happening. You know, all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling all their possessions and belongings. That's what we need to do. We need to sell everything have all things in common, live together in a commune? If I I suggested that, would you be like, I think it's a cult. See ya. (laughs) I I would. Here's the deal. Uh, Sometimes in scripture, you have to recognize where it's describing what happened and where it's telling us what to do. In this case, I think this is a descriptive passage. It's describing what happened in that early church. And when you see a passage that's describing it, you look at it and you go, okay, so how, how could I be like that? Why did God give me that description? Evidently there's something there for me today. So, so really it's a willingness then to, if there's a need, I'm going to give generously and I'm going to sacrifice to do that, especially for those who are of the household of faith, right? If, um, we're doing life together day by day. They gathered. They they gathered together regularly, day by day, attending the temple. See if this is prescriptive and tells us what to do, that means we should be here together every single day. You're like, I can't do that. I have a job. I know. It's it's descriptive. It's just describing at that time. But but what do we pull out of that? Well, we say day by day, attending together, breaking bread. Pretty regularly they were getting together. How regularly are you gathering with God's people? You know, uh, in my time here, uh, going on two decades, um, I've kind of watched average attendance go from three Sundays a month to two Sundays a month to for many one Sunday a month. And I just need to know, uh, we miss you. And, and you, you benefit from gathering together. We all benefit from you gathering with us. And we see a good example of this just regular attendance, whether it's together here or in your life group, getting connected. Um, as you can, and I understand for everybody, their situation's different, and you've got family and you've got jobs potentially, even on Sundays, but make gathering a priority. Make gathering a priority. It's, it's what the word church means. A gathering of God's people for a specific purpose. Amen? And hey, let me say this one last thing. I thought, sorry, I got one more. Um, you know, if, if you recognize there's maybe some people you haven't seen in a while that you love and care about, and you wonder, what, where'd they go? Maybe you need to reach out to them especially if it's happened since COVID, and say, hey, we miss you. We need you. Let's see you again. Amen? Let me pray. We're gonna sing, call to morning.